two, three. Welcome to Love Chapel Hill. This is the fourth week of Advent, and we are so glad that you have joined us. Soon, Christmas will be here, and we are very sad that we're not getting to celebrate that in person with you this year. However, we are just so thankful um, for how God has blessed us as a church this year. Um, and there are so many of you that have joined us uh, over the year, even in this weird new way. And we are just very grateful for that and for you and for tuning in whenever you are, um, even if it's not live on Sunday mornings, but later in the week, or if you're just listening to the podcast, thank you for being here. Today, Cora and I will be sharing a reading of scripture from the Gospel of John, and we will be lighting the fourth Advent candle. Um, this week, the candle represents uh, love. And we'll be reading from uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then 14 through 18. And this morning, I will be reading from the voice translation, which you'll note is a little different from uh, the translation you might have. But I just just love it for its beauty and its artful take on scripture. So you hear these words with me this morning. Before time itself was measured... The voice was speaking. The voice was and is God. This celestial word remained ever present with the creator. His speech shaped the entire cosmos. Immersed in the practice of creating, all things that exist were birthed in him. His breath filled all things with a living, breathing light. A light that thrives in the depths of darkness, blazes through murky bottoms. It cannot and will not. Be quenched. With that, another candle? Yeah. There. Here we go. The voice took flesh and became human and chose to live alongside us. We have seen him enveloped in undeniable splendor. The one true son of the father evidenced in the perfect balance of grace and truth. John the Baptist testified about him, shouting, This is the one I have been telling you is coming. He is much greater than I am because he existed long before me. Through this man, we all receive gifts of grace beyond our imagination. You see, Moses gave us rules to live by, but Jesus, the anointed, offered us gifts of grace and truth. God, unseen until now, is revealed in the voice, God's only Son, Straight from the Father's heart. Happy birthday, Jesus. Happy birthday, Jesus. Hey everyone, this is Val from the Connections team asking you to please fill out a virtual Connect card so we can get in touch with you and you can get in touch with us to learn more about Love Chapel Hill and how we can connect with you. Thank you very much.
Hey, Love Chapel Hill. I just want to start with a real quick but important note about next Sunday. So next Sunday, December 27th, uh, we will not have a video for that week. So there won't be a video coming to you in, in your email or on Facebook or on YouTube. Uh, we're taking a Sabbath week for our team that has been working so hard over these last several months, creating these videos every week. And so we want to pause and give them an opportunity to rest there the, that Sunday that falls between Christmas and New Year's and uh, for you to take a time to, to pause and rest in that as well. And so um, if that's a, if that messes you up in some way, if that messes up your rhythm, uh, then we'll we encourage you to look back at, at the YouTube channel and, and, and look at and engage with one of the videos that maybe you missed along the way over the last several months. Uh, or drop in with one of our partner churches or, or another church and give them support for that week as well. Uh, so just want to remind you of that. No video next week. Uh, and I do want to take a second and just thank Rudy Kavoskitz for all of the work that he has put into this. So he's been the one who's been leading the charge on it, pouring so much creative energy uh, and also just behind the scenes time. Um, that it takes to pull this together, to keep it organized, and to make sure uh, that it's happening every week. So thank you, Rudy. And uh, y'all y'all drop Rudy a message and, and thank him for the role that he's played uh, in this church and, um, and, and keeping it moving forward during this time. All right, here we go. Advent week number four. Uh, this is the last Sunday of Advent. Uh, we are about to enter into Christmas week. Um, and so we have made this journey around the Advent wreath, lighting a candle each week, uh, marking that journey, this act of spiritual pilgrimage that we've been engaging with, uh, reenacting the story of ancient Israel as they were waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. And again, that's what Advent means. It means arrival. And at the same time of engaging with that, uh, that history, the people of Israel looking ahead to the arrival of Jesus uh, at Christmas and the arrival of the Messiah at the same time uh, as Christians in the here and now. We have also been practicing this sense of looking ahead for the Advent again, for the second arrival of Jesus. In that moment when Jesus will return and when Jesus, the King, will set all things right and the full redemption that he has brought into reality already will make its way into full restoration of all things that are broken. We look forward to that day and we long for that day. And so that's another part of the rhythm of Christian Advent. We remember and make that journey with ancient Israel, longing for the arrival of Jesus at Christmas. And at the same time, we continue to anticipate uh, when Jesus will return in his reign as king over all things. So that's where we are today. Uh, we are week number four. And uh, we're going to continue to look through the lens of the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, not just for today, but actually uh, over the, the next stretch together, we're going to stay in the Gospel of Matthew and uh, follow through the life of Jesus and walk with Jesus into 
his ministry. Uh, and so today we are still in Matthew chapter one, but we are moving out of the genealogy today and into the story about the birth of Jesus. And so again, as we've, the last three weeks together, as we've been talking about this and unpacking this together, the, the, the writer Matthew begins with this genealogy. Uh, that word genealogy is about the origin of Jesus. It's an overlap with the word of Genesis and this sense that Jesus is this new Genesis story. And here is the, here are the origins of that story. So he walks us through this list of names that we have been walking through together. And now at the end of this list of names, he moves into, in verse 18, begins to tell this story of how Jesus was born. So here we go. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus, as we dive more deeply into your story today, we just pause and, and we take a moment to consider the depth of those words, and in particular, one word, your name, Jesus, the name that changes everything. We pray that your name would be lifted up today. We pray that your name would pierce our hearts today, that it would break down the walls that need to be broken down, that it would heal in the places that need to be healed, and that we would find our deepest hope and our first allegiance in that name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, moving into this, into this passage here. Um, it is very interesting the way Matthew begins with the genealogy and then moves into telling the story. And one of the things that I find most interesting is that he's actually continuing in that same flow that he began with the genealogy. Uh, it's tempting for us to just move past that list of names and, and treat it kind of like a table of contents to a story that we're wanting to read or, or the list of chapters to a story that we're wanting to read. And so our, our tendency is to move on into the story and to leave that, that bit of introduction and history 
behind. But that's not Matthew's intention for us. By rattling off this list of names, these names that are steeped in the history of the people of Israel, as Matthew is writing to this audience that we know Matthew's audience is a primarily Jewish audience. So already in their framework of how they see the world, of how they see themselves, of how they understand God, it's through this framework of this ancient story of God's engagement with humanity through the family of Abraham, through the family of David, through the people of Israel. So these names that Matthew has just rattled off, they are attached to stories. And when the original audience is hearing these names, those stories come alive in their minds and in their hearts. It's not just a list of names. It is their story and it's an outline of their story. So he's still in that flow. Remember, when you're engaging with Scripture and when we engage with Scripture together, we always have to keep in mind the context and we always have to keep in mind uh, all of the pieces that are happening around the one piece that we are studying in that moment. You can't remove it from its context and still understand what it's trying to say to us. So because of the context, because of the way Matthew sets this up, Our minds are supposed to be opened up to pay attention to the meaning of names. And as Matthew goes into this story, starting in verse 18, and he starts to talk about the birth of Jesus, that sense of the meaning of names is still in our minds. And who does he begin with? But he begins with this name of Joseph. And he talks about this person of Joseph. Um, For us, when we hear the name Joseph, Um, we think about this time of year. And this is about the only time of year that most of us think of Joseph or talk about Joseph. And so in our minds, when we hear his name, we picture the the nativity scene and the animals and the manger and baby Jesus. And and that's about the fullness of, of how we think about Joseph. But again, Matthew's audience, primarily Jewish audience, that framework of their shared history and God's engagement with the world through this family. And when they heard the name Joseph, it brought to mind another figure and another time in their history. They're thinking about Joseph, the son of Jacob from the book of Genesis. Joseph was uh, a key figure in the book of Genesis. This stretch of chapters in Genesis that are devoted to his story Um, and this key figure in that book and in the history of the people. And so Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, uh, one of the 12, who who, those 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so that's the family that Joseph is born into. He's not just one of the 12 sons, but he is the favorite of the 12 sons. He is Jacob's favorite. Uh, This creates a lot of animosity between Joseph and his other brothers, Um, not just because of the gifts that his father gives to him and the favoritism that is poured out on Joseph. But there's another thing that creates deep animosity, and it's the fact that Joseph was known as a dreamer. And so when we think about Joseph of the Old Testament, we think about his whole story and there are a lot of pieces that come in there. But one of the key themes that we see in Joseph's life is this theme 
of dreams and of God speaking through dreams. Joseph has a couple of dreams in which he sees this way that God is going to end up rescuing his brothers and rescuing God's people through Joseph, using Joseph in a key way to rescue his own people. So now, as Matthew begins this story, he's listed off these names. Our mind is open. Our minds are awake to the meaning of names. And he drops this name of Joseph. And what is Joseph, what happens to Joseph? He has a dream. And God speaks to him through a dream. And what is that dream about? It's about God using him and God bringing redemption to his whole family line and to the future of the world through the arrival of the Messiah. That is an intentional piece here that we see. And actually, if you look back at the end of the genealogy, where the genealogy ends with this Joseph, with New Testament Joseph, the father of Jesus, Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, Joseph, the husband of Mary, Joseph. What does it say at the end of his genealogy? It says, Jacob, who had a son named Joseph. Joseph's father, it tells us in Matthew chapter one, was named Jacob. And there's this overlap and this connection back to that Old Testament story. God is at it again, and he's speaking to Joseph, son of Jacob, through dreams again about how he's going to use him to bring about the redemption of his people. The next name that we see is the most important name of anyone who has ever lived. It's the most beautiful word in any language anywhere, and it's this name of Jesus. And we're told in this story uh, in verse 21, the angel Gabriel tells Joseph the meaning of this name. And he says, Jesus, because God will save his people, because he will save God's people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. And the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. And again, there's this overlap and this connection to the Hebrew Bible and to that shared history that the Jewish people have. Uh, the name Jesus comes from uh, the name Joshua. It comes from this Hebrew name, uh, Yeshua and Joshua. And it means Yahweh saves. And so as we get the name Jesus entering into the story and we think about that overlap and its connection to that name Joshua, we remember that Joshua is this figure in the Old Testament that God uses to finish what Moses started. The exodus that God uh, uses Moses to lead, leading his people out of slavery into freedom through the wilderness towards the promised land. Joshua is the one who completes that journey and ends up leading God's people into the promised land. And he finishes what Moses started. And this is who Jesus is. He's this person who has come, the son of God, who has come fully God, fully human, who has come to finish what Moses started. And every piece of the story before has just been a glimpse and a glimmer of its fulfillment that's gonna take place through Jesus. The next name that we see is this name, Emmanuel. 
And in verse 23, uh, Matthew is quoting from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, the, again, his primarily Jewish audience steeped in that history. He doesn't even reference Isaiah by name. He just says the prophet and people know exactly what he's talking about because in their hearts, in their minds, in their souls, this ancient prophecy from Isaiah was completely tied in together with their hope of the arrival of the Messiah. And he says, here's how it's, here's how it is fulfilled is that, uh, this baby who was born through this virgin is given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us, God with us. And so there, there is no, um, there is no confusion here over the naming. Okay. Uh, we get two names that Jesus is, is given, uh, but there's no confusion. His name is Jesus. And in Jesus, we get the identity and the mission. Uh, but in this name, Emmanuel, which means God with us, we get the strategy and the story. Okay. This is how the mission is going to be complete is Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, in our Bible study, we talk all the time um, when we come across a miracle of Jesus, we say that every miracle is pointing to two things. Uh, it is telling us about the identity of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. So whenever we see a miracle, we recognize it's not just for Jesus to uh, stir up some excitement, uh, for Jesus to just prove a point, uh, for Jesus to collect a crowd around him. No, it's always pointing to two things, his identity and his mission. And here we see in this naming of Jesus that the same thing is happening here too. That in his name, we see his identity, Yahweh saves, and his mission. This is what he has come to do. He is God in the flesh who has come to us to rescue creation by stepping into creation and to save it from the inside. And then the strategy and the story that mind-bending strategy and story that God himself would come and be with us, not to rescue us from a distance, but to come and to walk with us, to suffer not only beside us, but to suffer for us, and through that suffering with us and for us, to bring about our healing and to bring about the redemption of the world. So, in this passage, we see all of that history wrapped up, pointing to all of that great hope and great future. And just like the Gospels and just like the Bible, just like Scripture, we don't only see this huge cosmic arc. Of course, that is there and it captures us and, and, and brings us into the story. But we don't only see that massive cosmic arc, we're also brought down into the very localized reality of this story and that this story is taking place in a way that is deeply affecting the real lives of real people. The scripture is always honest about the reality of the human experience and we see it once again here. Uh, this is not some philosophy that is detached from the human experience. No, it plays out in the midst of human experience. And we see that again in verse 18. We're told that all of this 
cosmic arc is taking place through the lives of these two young people who have been pledged to marry each other. In this day and time, um, young people would have been pledged to get married with each other, not because um, they were attracted to the other person or uh, they thought that their life plans matched up and their vision for their lives uh, was this shared kind of vision and they thought that they would make a great match with each other. No, uh, this was a family decision and the parents are the ones who are making the match for them. Uh, most likely, uh, Mary would have been a young teenage girl at this moment based on, on uh, the culture of that time. These are very real people and they're pledged to be married. And, and another part about the culture is that this is not like our engagement, okay? It's not like an engagement in our culture. It was called uh, getting betrothed. And, and in that scenario, um, it, was, it was as binding as marriage itself. And in fact, if you were going to break this kind of engagement, uh, you would have to go through the process of divorce. And we even get that language that Joseph in his heart had decided to divorce her quietly. That's how deep this bond is in this form of engagement at that time. They, they use the terms husband and, and wives already. Uh, if one of the pair passed away before the marriage before the wedding, the other would still be considered a widow or a widow, widower. That's how deep the bond already was. And so when Joseph thinks uh, that Mary is pregnant by someone else and knows that she's pregnant by someone else, um, and when he thinks that has happened outside of the bond of their relationship, uh, he is absolutely broken hearted and recognizes, though, the amount of shame that this would bring to himself, of course, but also to Mary. And think about that ancient culture in that time uh, and the shame that would be brought upon her. But it's not just the shame. It's not just this kind of social uh, construct of shame that she would be viewed through. It goes further than that. Uh, this would have been seen as breaking God's law and part of the punishment for this kind of act, for the act of what Joseph thought was adultery, would have been that Mary would have been put to death through stoning. And so Joseph, in this desire, he's, it says he was righteous and he wanted to keep the law of God. And so he was going to break off this engagement. But at the same time, he loved Mary and he had compassion for Mary. And he didn't want her to be publicly shamed. But also he recognized that her life would be hanging in the balance. And so we get Joseph in this moment of righteousness and this elevation of wanting to honor the law. And also this sense of justice. There it is again, this sense of justice and wanting to honor Mary's life and seeing these two things at once. And in Joseph, in this moment, we see a fulfillment of what Jesus would later say is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Righteousness. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. Justice. And so in Joseph, we have this moment where he's faced with this decision between the law and a life. And what is he going to do? And in a way, we get a bit of a foreshadowing of what Jesus gets faced with later in John chapter 8, when he is in a moment as well. And Jesus, in his brilliance, doesn't take some kind of watered-down middle way, but he finds the radical, better, narrow way, which ends up elevating the law, honoring the law, and elevating this life. Not just sparing it, but elevating it and honoring it. And in a way, we see this already happening in Joseph's life at the beginning of Jesus's story. And so Joseph in his heart decides that he will do this in a way that honors the law, but honors Mary's life and won't bring her to public disgrace, even though he knows that will be costly to him. That plan is interrupted by this dream and the arrival of the angel of the Lord who speaks to him and speaks to him in this dream and makes this statement to him in verse 20. Do not be afraid. Once again, so much echo back through the story that has come before. This is one of the most repeated commands throughout scripture, this command not to be afraid. And why does God say it so often? Because he knows we're going to need it because we're going to constantly be faced with circumstances in which the natural reaction would be fear. But he's speaking this faith into us and he says, do not be afraid. And he speaks that to Joseph as well. He doesn't tell uh, Joseph that don't be afraid because everyone's going to believe your story. Nope. And he doesn't say, don't be afraid because this is going to be an easy road. No, as you read through the rest of the story around the birth of Jesus, this is an incredibly difficult and tragic road that they're going to have to walk together. So he doesn't say that everyone else will believe them, but he does say, don't be afraid. You can believe each other and you can believe God's promises to you. In fact, you can believe every promise that God has ever spoken because you are about to, with your own eyes, see all of those promises come to fulfillment in the child of promise himself, Jesus. Now, uh, pause for a moment uh, for Mary here. This hit me this year in a way that it, it hasn't hit me before. Um, it hit me the heartache and the tragedy of Mary trying to tell the truth to Joseph. And Joseph didn't believe her story. That just hit me in a different way. And I want us to pause in that for a moment that Mary knew what it was like to know the truth and to tell the truth and to speak up about the truth and to not have her story believed. That hit me in a, with a different kind of weight this year 
And I just want to think about that. Um, she was not believed, but she continued to believe God anyway. And she knew that he had not rejected her and that he was close to her and that he was going to bring about a healing to that brokenness that she experienced when she was not believed. And now, because of her belief, one of the key words that we associate with her and with the faith built around the son that she gives birth to is the word believe. One more moment here. A moment for Joseph too. Um, It also hit me in a different way this year that what we see in Joseph in his response, it says that after he heard the the word of the Lord spoken to him in this dream, uh, that he got up and he moved in obedience and he did take Mary home as his wife. Um, And Joseph repented for his unbelief. He repented for not believing her. And part of repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry, but it's a change of course and beginning to move in the opposite direction. And we see that with Joseph. He repented and then he changed course. And the rest of his life is marked by that. And in fact, if thinking about all that cultural context that Mary's life is in danger uh, because of this, what others had seen as scandal, then we see Joseph line himself right up next to her. And if they're going to throw stones at Mary, then they're going to hit him too. And so this repentance is a change of course for Joseph. As Matthew is telling this story, uh, it is difficult for us to get our minds around in our culture today and now the amount of scandal that would have surrounded, the amount of questions that would have surrounded Mary and Joseph uh, as they tell this story. And so here we have Matthew who began this book with this genealogy radically including uh, the names of four women, uh, four names that in the minds of many of the people of that day, names that had been attached to scandal and question about them. And once again, we see Matthew doing it as he's telling this story. And now we have another name that enters into the story, another name of a woman whose name at the beginning was attached with scandal and question. One more name who was rejected by others, but seen, honored, and more than just seen and honored by God, but trusted by God. And that's one thing that Mary has in common with the other names that came before her. And Matthew is setting up exactly how the Gospels are going to go. How many times throughout the Gospels do we see this scandal surrounding Jesus because of the kind of people that he willingly associates himself with, because of the kind of people that he goes and sits at a table with and has this community with, because of the people that are drawn to 
him and he's constantly surrounded by scandal. And Matthew is trying to tell us from the beginning of the story, this is the trajectory. This is the way it's going to go. This is the kind of story I'm telling. Matthew himself, a tax collector, telling this story. And Jesus saying, these are my people. These are my people. I want us to close with a pausing moment again and to reflect on the name of Jesus. This name that enters the story here. And when Joseph hears it and the angel tells him, you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. We get the identity and we get the mission of Jesus. And I want us to pause and just think about the meaning of that name. What does that name mean to you? As we get ready to move towards Christmas Day and just a few days away from us, as we get ready to celebrate the arrival of this Messiah, the name that is on our lips, the name that is in our minds, the name that is ringing in our hearts, what does this name mean to you? Pause for just a moment and reflect on that name, Jesus. What does that name mean to you? Jesus, the arrival of that name changes human history forever. It changes every story that came before. Now we view all of those stories through a completely different lens. It changes the way we see the present that we're in right now. Emmanuel, God with us, the strategy of God to come and to step into our story and be with us and it changes the way that we see the future. And now because of the name of Jesus, we can look at the future with this lens of hope and this deep certainty that he will restore all things. The redemption that he has already accomplished will be brought to full restoration and he will set all things right. The name Jesus, it means so many things to so many different people. Uh, to the sick, it means healing. Uh, to the doubter, people have found faith in that. The prodigal have found their way home and a welcome embrace at home through that. The desperate have found hope in that name. Sinners like me and like you have found salvation in it. And that's what the name means. And we can stop and pause and it's important for us to do that and think all day long about what it means to us or what it means to the people around us. But the real question is, what does that name mean to Matthew as he's writing this story? What does that mean, name mean to Joseph who hears it? What does the name mean to Mary? What does the name mean to Gabriel as he speaks it to them? What does the name mean to God? It means very clearly Yahweh saves the identity and the mission. You might even say that Jesus' name is 
his mission. And every time we say that name, it's a declaration of our hope in it. It's our declaration of our allegiance to that mission that we have been rescued by it. And now we are a part of advancing it. As you enter into Christmas week, I pray that that name would ring in a fresh way for you, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, and above all else, through your life. Amen. This is it, final uh, service of 2020. Uh, we are next week giving a well-deserved break to all those who make this service happen and also our Sunday morning watch party. So we will return on January 3rd. So we hope for all of you to come back and join us again in the new year.
But before we close today, let's go to the word real quick. In John chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. This passage reminds me of a quote by one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, where he says, Once in our world, a stable has something in it that was bigger than the whole world. God is not a spectator. He is a participator. He came into this world just as you and I as a child. He experienced the world as we have. He lived a life as a human just as you and I. But he came with a different mission. He came with a mission to bring us hope a path to God's family. This is what we've been celebrating this Advent season. The love of his sacrifice, the peace and joy that we desperately need, which brings us the hope that only comes through him. This hope is for you. This hope is for me. I want to invite you, if you have never dove into a relationship with Jesus or accepted his hope, I want to invite you today to consider this. To open your heart to what God can provide, the hope that he can provide, and join his family. I want you to know that you are loved and you are sent to love Chapel Hill or wherever you are with the heart of Jesus. Merry Christmas, everyone.